0: Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way
1: for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with
0: advertisers that fit your audience. That's Podgo.co at
1: p-o-d-g-o dot C-O. and let them know the nerd sent you by adding our podcast the amazing nerd show in the how did you hear about podgo section of the application once again that's podgo.co
0: at p-o-d-g-o dot C-O. alert
2: if you are hearing this warning the bay doors are sealed The experiments are loose and it is too late to escape. Don't be
0: afraid of me. What are you buying?
1: What are you selling?
2: Welcome, nerd, to the 146th voyage of The Amazing Nerd Show. And welcome to Horror Month.
1: Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show.
0: So Christian, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm starting off this show a little annoyed. Oh, okay. (laughs) And it's not at you for once. Um, Thank God. Not yet, at least. (laughs) So, I just read this article over at bloodydisgusting.com that talked about how they have determined, through science, the scariest horror film of all time. Now, I'm not a science denier by any Uh means like, you know, some fucking idiots in this country, (laughs) but poor to be subjective so they're basing this study all on like people's heart rates i guess um mm-hmm. you know i would have loved to have been part of this study because um, it sounds fantastic <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's definitely questionable but i you know it's this time of the year you know you get tons of articles like this um, mm-hmm. and i'm a sucker who obviously you know jumped right in head first knowing i was going to be pissed off but i like to do that <laughs> to myself <laughs> Um, But yeah, so they went ahead and they have... They had 50 people um, consume over 120 hours of the best horror movies of all time. Now, how did they choose that and how did they determine what were the best horror movies? Yeah. I I have no clue. (laughs) But whatever. Um, They went ahead and they fit each person with a heart rate monitor to measure which movie got their blood pumping the most to find the ultimate horror movie. Um, And this was done by Broadband Choices, uh, the Science of the Scare infograph, I guess. So we'll post the article on our uh, Facebook page, at Amazing Nerd Show. Um, But yeah, no. So take a guess. What's the number one film? Um, Shot in the Dark, Hereditary? Close. That's definitely close. Here, let's get a drum roll for the people, Christian. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The number one film was sinister <laughs> released 2012 and directed by scott garrickson uh, okay <laughs> i now i'm a fan of the movie mm-hmm. but the number one ultimate horror film no <laughs> absolutely not and what i found interesting looking at this list uh-huh is most of the top 10 are from the last like 10 to 15 years So I'm wondering (laughs) about, like, their, like, control groups. Like, you know, how many of these people, like, what age were they? You know? Um, Were they horror movie fans to start off? Mm -hmm. Um, Because nowhere on this list, at least in the top ten, are films like The Exorcist, Halloween, The Thing. You know, movies are considered classics. Um, The top ten itself, they're all good movies. I mean, I'll go through the list. Um, Insidious. The Conjuring, Hereditary, so that was a good guess. Uh, Paranormal Activity. It follows The Conjuring Two, The Babadook, uh, The Descent, and The Visit. I don't know about the The Visit being out there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't bad, but I mean, definitely top ten. Over over The Exorcist. I okay, mean, that's I, terrible. And but... <laughs> like I mean, like I said, horror is subjective. You know? mm-hmm. but like what this isn't taking into account at all is like you know the lingering effects of a good horror movie you know like yeah a jump scare is a jump scare and yeah it gets your heart pounding but at the same time it has to be a film that really resonates that you take home with you that like you know like hereditary did like where it like haunts you for weeks afterwards um or a fucking film like the exorcist (laughs) um so I, i don't know I don't
1: know. I, I was totally annoyed before we jumped on here,
0: <laughs> and I <laughs> just no, had I, to. Vent. I mean,
1: I I agree with you. Like, um, even like the haunting of Emily Rose, I wouldn't say it was like the greatest film, but I still woke up at 3:30 a.m. Mm-hmm. freaking out over it. <laughs> no, I agree 100.
0: percent I mean, there's those movies that mm. just you know hit the right nerve and then like linger. I mean, and that's something that you can't really measure, you know, with science. I mean, maybe if they come back to this group. In like a couple weeks and say okay what movie did you think was the scariest you know i bet their answers will be completely different than what their heart rate like read at the mm. time so i don't know and this like i said this is a total like you know a clickbait <laughs> article that i was a sucker for <laughs> for some reason what would you christian not to put you on the spot but totally put you <laughs> on the spot what would you put down as your scariest film
1: of all time. Uh, that's a that's a hard one for me. I, I can tell you which one definitely fucked me up the most um, growing up. Okay. Um, it was Final Destination when I was much younger. And then I started looking at everything in the world a whole lot differently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that could kill me. That could kill well, me. You start could playing kill
0: me. You start playing Mousetrap in your mind. Exactly. <laughs> so- <laughs> I totally get that.
1: I mean, if I saw that
0: movie yo- when I was younger, it would totally screw me up. So I mean, yeah, no, and you, you don't see death coming at all. And there's these uh-huh. weird, like,
1: <laughs> oh God, I was terrified of elevators for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah. And there's like weird omens and shit like that where like, mm-hmm. you know, song could mean like, you're going to die. And yeah, so I totally get that. Um, you know, I, and I love that movie. Uh, But for me, obviously, it's like The Exorcist. Um, Fucking The Exorcist 3 fucked me up for a long time. So, Mm. um, you know, but I mean, everyone's different. So horror is completely subjective. You know, I'm an idiot for even reading this article. (laughs) Obviously.
1: (laughs) Hey, that's not going to stop us from putting it in the title, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, you know, what's funny on this list, though. Biggest jump Uh scares by heart rate uh the exorcist 3 is on here Oh, okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it did make the list so okay well these guys are know what they're talking about obviously I- i'm just not over the visit because all i'm thinking about is the old man smearing shit on the kid's face well it's horrifying how much Christian. I, was laugh- <laughs> I was laughing my ass off what? for like 30 minutes after that okay <laughs> <laughs> It was not horrifying at all. It that was disgusting. Stupid. The reaction on the kid's face too is it was comical. I don't
0: remember that scene at all.
1: <laughs> I won't lie. He just goes, uh and walks off.
0: <laughs> That's pretty gross. <laughs> uh yeah, no. So but anyway, yeah. Like what you like, people. Except
1: for the visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck the visit. <laughs> Number ten, my ass. All right. Uh well, we got news to talk about. Yes, we do. Let's get into it. But before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform.
0: And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag.
1: Let's get into the news.
0: Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions.
1: All right, Damon. Well, first up, we have Jared Leto's Joker joining Zack Snyder's Justice League in the reshoots. So our good friends over at
0: The Hollywood Reporter are reporting that Leto is going to be reprising his role as the Joker for Zack Snyder's Justice League uh, during some reshoots. Um, You know, this is stirred up speculation that this is going to somehow also tie into the air's cut of Suicide Squad, um, which I think is just a rumor right now i don't know if that's officially a thing yet um that'll be interesting because zach was a producer on both films until like you know studio interference caused like drastically different cuts uh i wasn't a huge fan of you know leto's portrayal of the joker but according to air it's quite different than what he originally intended
1: so i don't know man how are you feeling about this you know, um, I did enjoy, you know, Suicide Squad for what it was at the time, mostly just because it felt like it came out of a comic book straight out. Uh, but just I a very know, good one. <laughs> I just don't know, like how I feel about like I, I assume like if the Snyder Cut does phenomenal for, you know, HBO Max, this will, you know, of course they want to do an haircut. That's just another thing that they yeah. can use to bring subscribers in. But hopefully it all makes sense and hopefully it all works.
0: You know, I like the progress, uh, you know, the latest DC films have been making. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want them to keep on track. Um, and I'm, I'm worried that this is going to be a case of like two steps forward, like one step back for them. Um, I want them to kind of stay focused because um, i'm really excited for you know all the big theatrical releases that they're like you know got in production right now yeah so um but that being said if it's just kind of like a bonus thing for fans um and you know giving these directors you know their visions finally on film i'm fine with it as long as it doesn't affect like the main franchise i guess if that makes sense <laughs> or maybe i fucking hate it christian i don't know (laughs) i'm hoping they're awesome films you know i'm hoping that they change my mind and they're both fantastic Mm -hmm. because i mean why would i want these films to suck right Uh.
1: (laughs) but you know am i super optimistic for them not necessarily (laughs) a part of me wants to watch all three cuts just to see what it's like Mm mm-hmm i mean they're giving snyder a budget for these reshoots so they
0: must be somewhat invested in and maybe because of the huge fan outcry for this mm-hmm. um do you see a world where we could have like a snyder universe if these films are successful and then like a whole like you know i forgot what they're calling a dceu or you know oh the dc universe i think they're just calling it right
1: like universe like two separate like like um, timelines happening absolutely um uh, i have zero doubt in my mind that that's exactly probably where we're heading especially after you know they spent all that um all that dc fandom event saying hey yeah separate universes all exist mm-hmm. you know we're gonna explain it away in the next flashpoint film so y- uh, pretty much Just-
0: so you think snyder could get like a sequel to his justice league movie
1: if this does well enough and brought enough subscribers absolutely i see no reason why they wouldn't do that
0: yeah no i agree 100 you know because it's all about you know the bottom line at the end of the day exactly so <laughs> i mean if it brings up subscribers and you know people are raving about it i don't see why they wouldn't do it so it's gonna make it for an interesting you know dc universe honestly so um we'll see like i said i hope they're fucking great you know
1: uh, even if they become, like, amazing, I still want it to just end there and move yes. forward. Yes, let's move know? on.
0: Let's move on. <laughs> and that's what it feels like they're trying to do. But I don't I don't know what this shit is. <laughs> I don't understand. But whatever.
1: All right. Well, speaking of moving forward, up next we have Falcon and the Winter Soldier will feature a number of Marvel's early MCU characters. So previously confirmed was Batroc
0: the Leaper. Who was in uh, Winter Soldier, and then we also know, obviously, that Zemo is coming back. Uh, you know, and while the writer didn't say exactly who, um, he did say that the characters that they do bring back are going to be kind of reinvented and are going to like shift the storytelling structure. So that's definitely curious um mm. is there anyone you'd like to see them bring back or do you have any clue like who they could be talking about
1: i'm not 100 sure because the way that that's worded makes me think maybe there's someone that was on the shield side that we didn't know was working with hydra or something mm. that might like you know reappear and give you like uh, a different
0: angle of the story i
1: could see exactly that. um Besides that, I could totally see them bringing back, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. probably has another copy of Zola somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure he's a virus out there somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> I could see Crossbones returning, even though he, like, blew oh, yeah. himself up in a Civil uh-huh. War. <laughs> uh, the actors hinted before that he's not actually dead, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. And if Crossbones does come back, I'd love for them to, like... You know, I don't know. Explore um, Red Skull's daughter Sin because her and Crossbones are almost like a like Mickey and Mallory type couple in like the Six One Six. So, and they play into like a huge part in like the whole like death of Captain America storyline. So, I think that'd be cool to introduce her. I mean, they'd have to you know explain her age, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but they could do that. They'll figure that out. You know, maybe it's a oh. granddaughter instead of a daughter. You know, so but she's an awesome character. And I I think she's definitely someone
1: that they should look into, at least. Oh, yeah. They do that type of shit all the time. Yeah, right. (laughs) All right. Up next, Michael B. Jordan to produce Static Shock movie for DC Comics.
0: So and it came out during DC fandom, you know, during the Static Shock panel um, when they announced uh, the return of Milestone Comics, uh, that they were going to be doing a feature film, that they were working on a feature film. Um, but, you know, after weeks of speculation, it, it's confirmed that it's real. Warner Brothers is definitely working on something, you know, it's not just a rumor. Uh, but, you know, they've got a big name attached now. Michael B. Jordan is set to produce, um, you know, I'm a super talented actor. Uh, they haven't confirmed him for any like particular role. So I'm not super knowledgeable when it comes to static shock. I really don't know much about the character um i think i was probably in high school like a senior when the the cartoon first came
1: out so um
0: you know i've heard great things i mean are you a fan of the character
1: absolutely i mean it came out when i was five so i mean it was like perfect (laughs) timing for me thanks christian (laughs) way to make me feel old (laughs) um it was a cartoon first correct yes uh came out with wb kids all right all right um so are you excited by this absolutely i think um this is the right move especially after how much you know there's not enough young superheroes right now in the like superhero film you know area all we have is spider man really yeah when you think about it um and you know to consider like how well shazam did and like you know using that younger cast and stuff like that i can only imagine this is a great step for dc to get a you know a young black actor in and get a black superhero on on um, screen for everyone at this point. Um, Static Shock is a super fun character as well. A lot of people compare him to Miles often. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. That makes mm-hmm. sense. But it uh, it's, it's going to be a race to see who gets on the big screen first. Exactly. right? Because <laughs> <laughs> Miles is a big deal. I mean, every time like anything, Miles pops up anywhere. It's massive. News. Yes. So I can only imagine, you know, Static Shock would be a big get for DC to start filming it. He's general. got
0: a huge nostalgia factor for kids your exactly. age, so, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Well, this is definitely big news for everyone, and hopefully there'll be more to follow. All right, Damon, per usual, all those movies we want to see have new release dates. That's correct. So up first is a movie that we would have seen, actually, this past weekend, but people are assholes and won't wear their fucking masks so we've got to wait almost another year to the release of Candyman, which will be coming out august 27th 2021 uh also we got a announcement that ghostbusters afterlife is now set to arrive in theaters june 11th 2021 Uh, Don't Breathe 2 got an official date which is August 13th which I'm really excited for actually I forgot how much I love the first film and I forgot they were doing a sequel and actually director Fede Alvarez uh, has another uh, film that he's producing Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, that has been confirmed for 2021 Um, a whole website launch tied into the Call of Duty um, game I guess because Leatherface is going to be a character or something Christian
1: yeah, it's another expansion that okay. they're doing. All right.
0: Well, whatever. So, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> they launched a poster and a website and everything like that. And I don't know. They confirmed that they're going to go ahead and they're going to be releasing the film, hopefully by 2021. So, uh, we do know that they just fired like a director after a week. So...
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> we'll see if they make it
1: through that production exactly. without any. I'm <laughs> like nothing's set in stone, you know. No. I I can't I can't listen to any studio say, Yeah, it's definitely coming out on this day. Yeah, right. Like fuck yeah. you. <laughs> I guess the uh, Halloween producers actually came out
0: and said regardless of theaters being open, that they're releasing the next Halloween sequel next year on Halloween no matter what. So um, you know, I guess that means they'll go to like VOD if it has to so um, they're not gonna do another like year delay or anything like that so i mean that's good news that Uh they're kind of like understanding (laughs) Uh the situation that you can't keep on because obviously it's going to end up causing like a almost like a traffic jam of films at a certain point Mm -hmm. because i mean it's hollywood is still going on they're still trying to like you know you know be in production with these other movies so eventually that calendar is going to get filled up quickly you're going to have this whole like backlog of films so I mean movies are going to eventually just getting like shelved for like bigger like studio films because I feel like when the Mm -hmm. theaters do open it's just going to be like huge theatrical releases at first like Avenger films and like superhero movies that's going to take up most of like you know the calendar and then like the little films will be able to kind of sneak in there so I wouldn't be surprised once again if like some of those smaller films do start popping up on VOD soon So, I mean, I don't know how long the studios could really hold out at this point, because it's not like things are getting much better. (laughs) You know, AMC and them are going to still fight it as much as they can. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, if AMC is still around, you know, Uh (laughs) I mean, knock on wood, I don't want to see him go out of business or anything, but it's
1: definitely scary times. Yeah, at least let me use all my points first, right? (laughs) you're such a piece of shit (laughs) thousands of people will
0: be out of their jobs but you know as long as Christian gets to use his fucking points and get his free popcorn free large popcorn man oh my god (laughs) you turd (laughs) let's move on alright Christian so we are smack dab in the middle of horror month but unfortunately I had to pull a little audible this week so, oh, yeah. you know, originally we were supposed to have just your countdown of top horror video games of all time. Um, and I was supposed to be reviewing Bly Manor, but unfortunately life happened and I didn't get a chance to get through all 10 episodes. So, <laughs> um, like I said, we're going to pull an audible. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to do my own little horror countdown. All right, Dammit, well, why don't you tell them what the subject is? We're going to go ahead and we're going to count down our top horror heroes of all time. All right, well, why don't you tell the people why you chose heroes in the horror genre? I don't think there's a genre where the protagonists are less celebrated than they are in horror. I mean, but we're here to change that because it takes two to tango, goddammit. And even though in this genre, the monsters and killers get all the fanfare, one could argue without the right heroes, these acclaimed films and franchises wouldn't be as legendary. I mean, it's their refusal to be just another victim and their ability to endure against all odds is why we root for them and partially get invested in these films so much. I mean, these heroes on our countdown are to be celebrated. They're the people that you want standing next to you at the gates of hell. But before we get into our countdown, here of course are some honorable mentions. Tommy Jarvis from the Friday the 13th franchise, the Warrens from the Conjuring universe, Reggie from Phantasm, uh, Kirsty Cotton from the Hellraiser series, and last but definitely not least, Quint from Jaws. So without further ado, it's time to hero up.
2: Number 10, Peter, Dawn of the Dead.
1: Just remember, remember that they want to be in here.
2: What the hell are
0: they? They're us, that's all, there's no more room in hell. So Peter might be more a survivor than a hero. Uh, but this smart tactical thinker is the man you want leading your group during a zombie apocalypse. I mean, he's the original Rick Grimes, goddammit. And his heroic nature does show through at the end of the film when he chooses to keep on fighting by the side of the pregnant Francine.
2: Number 9 Father Damien, The Exorcist. You son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Take me come into me God damn you Take me, Take me.
0: <laughs> A priest having a crisis of faith finds his resolve when he's faced with evil and makes the ultimate sacrifice to save the soul of an innocent little girl.
2: Number eight Clarice Starling. Silence of the Lambs. you see a lot Dr.. When are you strong enough to point that high-powered perception at yourself? What about it? Why don't you, why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see?
0: Or maybe you're afraid to. This young FBI agent in training is able to match wits with a diabolical Hannibal Lecter so she could track down and stop the twisted Buffalo Bill before he kills again. Clarice is the absolute definition of determination in this film. And my God, what a performance by Jodie Foster.
2: Number seven, McCready. The Thing.
0: We got back inside and blew the generator. In
1: six hours, it'll be a hundred below in here. Well, that's suicide. Not for that thing. It
2: wants to freeze now. Got no way out of here. Just wants to go to sleep in the cold until the rescue team finds it. What can we do? What can we do? Whether we make it or not, we can't let the thing freeze again.
1: Maybe we'll just warm things up a little around here.
0: This loner-turned-leader is quick-thinking and awesome with a blowtorch. McCready has ice colder than Antarctica running through his veins and is one of Kurt Russell's most iconic roles. I mean, I don't know if it's the hat or the beard, but my God, he's a badass.
2: Number six, Sidney Prescott, Scream.
0: She took the final girl formula that was so prevalent throughout the 80s and upgraded it for the 90s by turning it upside down on its head and kind of taking it back to its roots really. I mean, intelligent and a true fighter, she's been kicking Ghostface's ass from the first film on. And with a fifth one on the way, she's showing no signs of stopping anytime soon.
2: Number five, Dr. Loomis, Halloween.
1: Seems to me you're just plain scared. the Blackest Eyes, the Devil's Eyes.
0: The Halloween franchise is Aab. I mean, he's a modern day Van Helsing. Dr. Loomis, played by the late great Donald Pleasants, always added a level of class to every film he was in. I mean, between his terrifying monologues about why Michael Myers is the living embodiment of evil and his like over the top determination to end the monster, I mean, that's why he had to be on our list. I mean, it's crazy to think that this man used to be Michael's childhood psychologist, but he was so terrified with what he saw that he's willing to blow himself up to take this monster down.
2: Number four. Nancy Thompson, A Nightmare on Elm Street. I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. You're shit.
0: Nancy Thompson is the perfect mix between bravery and ingenuity. I mean, going straight MacGyver on Freddy's ass and fearlessly standing up to this supernatural boogeyman. I mean, she is the heart of the Elm Street franchise, and every film without her just isn't the same.
2: Number three, Laurie Strode, Halloween.
1: Tommy, Halloween night, it's when people play tricks on each other. It's all make believe. I think Richie was just trying to scare you. I saw the boogeyman. I saw him outside. There was nobody outside. There was. What'd he look like? The boogeyman. We're not getting anywhere. All right. The boogeyman can only come out on Halloween night, right? Right. While I'm here tonight, I'm not about to let anything happen to you.
0: Everyone's favorite babysitter. She's the template for the final girl. Laurie goes from being a quiet, reserved survivor, doing what she has to do to get through the night, to an empowered warrior, channeling her trauma no matter what the cost to take Michael down.
2: Number two, Ash, the Evil Dead. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. Hail to the king, baby.
0: Bruce Campbell is a horror institution and at this point, just as iconic as many of the classic horror villains. I mean, he's an average guy put into impossible situations and he does what it takes to get the job done. I mean, hell, even if it means cutting off his hand and replacing it with a chainsaw if he has to. I mean, fanboys and fangirls live vicariously through Ash as he spouts off one-liners as he cuts down deadites. Because he does it with enough bravado and a gleam in his eye that makes you cheer for him to the very last drop of blood.
2: And the number one horror hero, Ripley, the Alien series. Get away from her, you
0: bitch! Ripley goes from a no-nonsense warrant officer to a fucking xenomorph-killing machine. I mean, she comes eye-to-eye with an alien queen and doesn't flinch. Fierce, resourceful, and driven, this badass is who you want leading the charge at the end of the day if you want to survive.
1: And that does it for our horror heroes. Didn't like Damon's picks? Well, you can at him at Amazing Nerd Show, or you can just sound off in the comments. Let's move on. Hey guys, this is Venice, and I've got a message from a friend of mine about my favorite podcast. It's your boy,
0: flavor, flavor, and full effect. Check this out, everybody. I want y'all to go check out TJ. What's good, everybody? TJ Johnson here from Voice from the Underground. I am the most handsome. Big ass. And I'm smoking my cigar, of course. You know what I'm saying, the Dutch.
1: You pick me up in an Uber and a PT Cruiser, I'm calling Lyft. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because they be fighting the power, talking about social issues, politics, you know what I'm saying? And we're not even that good. Right, we're terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Tangents all over the place. And not only that, but they be keeping the fun with the sports, music, comics, and movies too.
1: Am I allowed to talk? I think, no, not right now. (laughs) Shut up, colonizer!
0: You know what I'm saying? He on Twitter at VFU Podcast. So you can find him. You can find him. So check one, two. This is Flavor Flav. Yeah, boy.
2: Okay. What Flav was trying to say is check out Voice from the Underground on your favorite podcast network.
0: Voice from the Underground. So, Christian, unlike me, you actually did your homework this week,
1: and you finished watching Lovecraft Country. Yeah, as per usual, you know, I did the heavy lifting for the show, so, yeah. <laughs> let's get on with this one.
0: Let's uh, let's tally up the reviews, Christian. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a challenge. Just because they don't want you here doesn't mean you're not supposed to be. You
1: gotta get away.
0: This is an invitation.
1: Unmitigated power. Where in the hell did I go wrong with you, boy? I told you to stay away from that damn place. There's something here. Just trying to get
2: out. Everything was where and as it should be. From God to man to creature.
0: A young African-American travels across the US in the 1950s in search of his missing father, created by Misha Green and
1: starring Jonathan Majors, Journey Smollett, and Courtney B. Vance. In my first reaction take on the show, I talked about how Lovecraft Country juxtaposes evil monsters and racism. And now having seen the entire series, by God, did that statement stand true? This show takes you on one hell of a ride as you follow Jonathan Majors character Atticus through the looking glass and find that magic and monsters are real and those trying to oppress you are in control of it. Majors and Journey Smullett are absolutely fantastic in this show. That can honestly probably go across the board with this entire cast, but it's their chemistry and moments that are a major driving force in this show. But even when we trail off with a side character, Lovecraft Country, keeps you hooked as you honestly can't tell what's coming next well until a point and that's where you know my criticism for the show really starts to come in um, there was so much creativity and excitement in the first half of the show that by the time we were in those final three episodes it felt like their creative juices started to get you know kind of low um, things started to get predictable and it felt like they were stretching to reach the end Perhaps this series would have been better off with less episodes, but I digress. Even after like introducing one final new character, they barely used this character to flesh things out or make the story more compelling after their initial introduction um, in the second half of the series. Um, the ending still left me warm to the show, but not nearly as red hot as I had been from the start. And like just to get back to like how, you know the things that you know I love about this show is, it has such fucking great effects. They were absolutely amazing. There are a couple times where the CGI elements felt a little off. I would definitely give the show a like 30 as it comes with you know the effects. But you know the effects that did work and at the times like there's a storyline with um, a character called Ruby in there, and I'm not going to spoil anything about it. But the effects, and for those who have seen it, the effects during some of those scenes um, are absolutely incredible and left me in a like pure like shock and awe you know what they were able to accomplish for a tv show i mean this really showed you know the hbo money that they were throwing into this uh, series um the gore in this show is absolutely unbelievable as well just some of the effects they were able to accomplish i just i absolutely like if you have a moment to watch any of these scenes at least follow ruby's storyline it's it's pretty fucking gnarly and awesome how they handled stuff Uh, the story itself feels so timely to a lot that's going on in current events and uses audio from interviews in each episode that not only relate to what's going on in the episode but to how many feel today. You can really feel the show writers' messages throughout and it really makes the show even more enjoyable with how well balanced the ridiculousness of magic feels against the grain of hardcore racism. Alright Christian,
0: it's report card time. What grade are you giving Lovecraft Country?
1: All right, well, I'm going to be giving this a B+. Um, it may not have stuck the landing flush for me, but the journey itself almost surpassed my feelings for Watchmen, which was my show of the year last year. Um, each episode got wilder and wilder, and I have to recommend our listeners give it a shot. I definitely say this should be considered HBO Max's first big hit, and I definitely hope there will be more. All right, this week we've got an
0: extra special edition of Christian's Corner where he's counting down his
1: all-time favorite horror video games. That's right, just like Damon said, we're going to be going over the best horror video games of all time. But before I talk about that, I did want to get into a couple things first. Um, Basically, just talk a little bit of Sony right now. Uh, One of the big stories that came out this week was that or one of the mechanics they kind of rolled out rolled out because they're going to be putting it in the playstation 5 was that the controller and everything is going to be listening to you um during your chats um you know they're going to be recording chats now uh between each other like party groups and stuff like that um so that you can use that kind of stuff i like use five-minute clips to um <laughs> you know, mark racism and stuff like that, you know, send those in as complaints. complaint. You can just directly, you know, play the audio for them and stuff like that. And gamers got real concerned. <laughs> because that means that they're going to be listening to every single group party. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like we should already expect this, you know, this is something that we've seen coming from other game studios and, you know, just companies in general. Everything's listening to you nowadays. Um, this doesn't shock me whatsoever. Uh, you know, gamers are in an uproar about it, but I, at the end of the day, you know, your phone's already listening to you, there's probably a million things in your house as a microphone, if you have an Amazon Alexa or anything shit like that, it's listening to you, it's, you know, it's selling your data, it's doing all that shit, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not something that you should be too surprised by at this point. Uh, so that's why I'm not too up in arms about it, um... It's nothing new that I mean that's part of the future unless you know there's some legislation that changes that But I mean no one's looking at that. No one's caring, you know They're just looking at that as more information that they can pick up from you in general um, You know, it's disappointing to see but it's at the end of the day, you know, I, I still want to pick up a PS5 <laughs> That I, I'm not in like parties all the time I, at all um, I play mostly single-player games <laughs> I'm not a big multiplayer guy but I mean, I mean, if this upsets you, let me know why, you know, let me hear your thoughts on it. Um, you can comment below and stuff like that, or find me at Um The other thing I wanted to talk about was I finished Ghost of Tsushima last weekend, uh, which was amazing. Um, I was like, at the end of that stream, I was pretty much left dumbfounded with just how much of a good time I had with that game. Now, um, you know, my, I believe I gave it an A um while on the stream a solid a i'm gonna give it an a minus i think it it is fucking almost flawless there were like sometimes you know you know and this is all nitpicking type stuff you know where i'm not even like talking about clipping and stuff like that but just little like elements like not being able to lock on a foe and stuff like that you know caused a lot of like fight errors and stuff for me like where I'm just throwing kunai in the fucking wind at nobody uh, when my enemy is, like, literally, like, five feet from me to the right. My character's just throwing it to the left for some reason. Um, you know, it's it was those moments that, like, would frustrate me and stuff like that, but, you know, the story was so well handled and everything that I, I could look past it, you know? Those little tiny details that you could tell were just, like, little things that they either missed or, or just didn't take the opportunity to put in. Like, I feel like a locking mechanism in that game would have solved... You know, 90% of my fucking problems with with the game. I mean, it's got an A minus. I I rarely give out A's at this point in general. So for a video game to get an A is a pretty big deal for me. I I really love that game. I couldn't recommend it more to um, anyone listening to (laughs) The Amazing Nurture right now. Definitely pick it up. It's worth the $60. Um, If you haven't checked out our series, it's up on YouTube. Um, I'm still editing it for YouTube and stuff like that. Or if you just want to catch the ending, it should be on my Twitch for the rest of the week. And then they usually um, come off um, after seven days. So definitely follow us on Twitch and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was a fucking great game. Um, I, I commend the studio, Sucker Punch, for doing this. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, one, of, one of the best gaming experiences I've had in the last 10 years, I would say. Uh, definitely up there. And it's it's going to be a hard-fought battle for Cyberpunk to get game of the year after having such a great experience like that. Like, Cyberpunk has to keep all its promises, pretty much, to um, you know, get me to say, oh, that's going to be game of the year, because that's what everyone's calling right now. Uh, Everyone's assuming that, you know, Cyberpunk 2077 will be game of the year for 2020. Um, You know, and they haven't even got their hands on it yet. Um, You know, it's, Cyberpunk's promising a lot of things that um, you know, a lot of game developers have promised before, but it's, it's the fact that CD Projekt Red's behind it. Um, that gets a lot of people excited because they they're ones to usually keep to their word um, and what they've shown off has been very impressive and really makes you want to play the game so that's why I'm super excited for it but you have to commend sucker punch here taking on such a huge game like this and how much detail and stuff that they handled in this third person world like and and making everything feel so cohesive and just right at all times like there was never a point where I've like was really ripped out of the game um, because of game mechanics and stuff like that. You know, I wanted to keep playing every time I was away from the game. I wanted to play it more. So I mean, really, everything about this um, Ghost of Tsushima was fucking amazing. And I definitely say pick it up if you get the opportunity. Now it's time for the main event of Christian's Corner. (laughs) It's time to talk about my top five horror video games. So just like horror movies, horror video games are a beloved genre of media, and if anything can terrify its consumers more, as the developers put you in the shoes of horror flicks protagonists and make you figure out how to survive, or hell, puts you in the shoes of a monster as you rip apart your friends. Some tell unforgettable stories with unbelievable Oscar-worthy performances while others stick you in a dark room and have 2D images flash at you for that classic jump-scare effect, you know. Uh, (laughs) Everything from big-budget studios to one-man teams are capable of putting out games that can scare the living hell out of you. And for my top 5 all-time horror games list, it comes down to how much a game either scared me or how much fun I had while playing it, because at the end of the day, that's how a horror game should be measured in my eyes.
2: Number Five: Dead Rising.
1: I'm a wartime photojournalist. I've seen it all. Poor famine death. The real stuff of nightmares. At least, that's what I thought. That was until I saw a Corpse get up, walk, and kill. Dead Rising is an incredibly fun series, but its first game really kicked things off with a bang. Greatly influenced by Romero's and Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, players play as Frank West, a journalist that gets stuck in a shopping mall filled with a horde of zombies. Looking to break the story on the contagion, you must run around the mall taking on the undead and saving those you come across. This 2006 zombie horror survival sandbox was one that you could let yourself get lost in for hours and fucking hours, as the open world gameplay was so much fun. Allowing you to use nearly anything as a weapon each time you got into the game was a new and exciting experience, in which you never knew what hijinks you would get into next.
2: Number four, PT. Watch out, the gap in the door. It's a separate reality.
1: Has a trailer for a movie ever terrified you more than the movie itself? PT was Kojima's attempt at making a thrilling way to tease what would have been his next upcoming game for Silent Hill. What it became was a legend on its own, as Konami split ways with Kojima and ultimately scrapped the project. This short demo psychologically terrifies its players as the main character awakens in a hallway inside a home, and then taken for a loop as the player attempts to figure out the mystery of what's going on. During your passes through the hallways, you uncover a ghost named Lisa that cannot be stopped, and will kill you. This demo was far from anything gamers had seen before. Usually you get a few enemies, you know, you shoot them up, And then boom, trailer. No, Kojima gave you something on par with an indie horror game and effectively terrified you as you went in circles over and over again, um, getting into the player's head and then attacking them with an enemy they can't fight and they can't escape from. Those brave enough to reach the end were left with a teaser for a game that would never come. And ultimately the project we got with Death Stranding definitely wasn't what anyone expected, but the demo lives on in pure infamy as one of the scariest experiences you could have for a game you'll never play.
2: Number three. Dead space.
0: Step one. Crawl inside. Step two. The screws go tight all around. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye.
1: Inspired by films like Event Horizon and Solaris, and also taking cues from games like Resident Evil 4, the Redwood Shores team would attempt to develop the most horrifying game experience they could imagine. What resulted was Dead Space. This survival horror game puts you in the shoes of a space miner named Isaac, in a ship full of mutated monsters called Necromorphs, created by an ancient evil artifact called the Marker. This game is a visceral, gory experience with well-placed scares that keep you on the edge of your gaming chair at all times. Designed to freak you the fuck out at all times, this game picks at the psyche of Isaac and the player as you don't know what to trust or what the right thing to do is. Dead Space took the right cues from horror flicks, spacing its scares in unpredictable manners and focused on creating atmosphere with superior sound design and great use of score. The limb targeting as well, at the time, was some of the most brutal, gruesome uh, shit we've ever seen. Uh, That really gave you that I'm playing a horror movie feel, as you took turns with friends just trying to survive.
2: Number 2 Silent Hill 2 Do I look like your girlfriend?
1: No, my late wife. I can't believe it.
0: You could be her twin. Your face, your voice, just your hair and clothes are different. My name is Maria.
2: I don't look like a uh, ghost, do I?
1: Silent Hill was a franchise meant to compete with the ever popular Resident Evil. And while its name is nearly as synonymous amongst horror game fans, Silent Hill, in my opinion, is a much scarier experience. Silent Hill 2 has you play as James Sunderland who embarks on a journey to find his dead wife after receiving a letter from her. What ensues is one of the most eerily and depressingly dark tales in video game history. Silent Hill fits right in with the J-horror genre of cinema, as it uses long, drawn-out tension-filled scares rather than consistently jumping out at you. The developers Team Silent masterfully created disturbing images and created well thought out stories that left you, the player, feeling nothing but dread. It's a game that took me, personally, years to get into because it wasn't actiony and fun right off the bat. It's a completely mature and dark um, piece about loss using psychological scares. This game is artwork, and I definitely recommend it for anyone looking for a more serious horror experience.
2: And now, the number one horror video game Resident Evil 4.
0: So nice you could join us, Mr.
2: Scott Kennedy. You again.
0: The sacred rite that's about to begin at this tower shall endow the girl with magnificent power. She will join us, become one of us.
1: This is no ritual, it's terrorism.
0: Isn't that a popular word
2: these days?
0: Not to worry, we've prepared a special ritual
2: for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For starters, putting Resident Evil after Silent Hill wasn't an easy choice. What it came down to was how much fun I had while playing it, and Resident Evil 4 takes the cake when it comes to the entire franchise. And that includes the excellent remake so far as well. This third-person shooter takes protagonist Leon Kennedy out of Raccoon City and plops him in the midst of this crazy cultist village, as the player is tasked with saving the president's daughter. Locked camera angles and in came that sweet third-person camera freeing you up from that you know, that semi-linear feel of the past Resident Evil games. In came a new locked shooting mechanism that created a whole new sense of tension for the franchise as you were forced to make precise shots or become overwhelmed by enemies. Your hand is not held whatsoever as you run into horde after horde of crazy people with chainsaws. The game was a real challenge and at times frustrating as hell. But with fun game mechanics and a fun story, Resident Evil 4 balances horror and action unlike any of the other titles in the franchise. And yes, while it may not be the scariest game on this list, it surpasses the rest with the most memorable and fun gameplay that kicked off what would become the franchise's gold standard. Resident Evil 4 still holds up even after 15 years, but there is surely a new remake on the way. And that does it for my list. Make sure that you check out The Amazing Nerd Show on YouTube and Twitch. That's The Amazing Nerd Show on Twitch. Check it out. Um, The link is definitely in the description. Uh, This weekend, I'm gonna continue on with more The Witcher 3, and then I believe I, I I keep wanting to say Ghost of Tsushima, but I'm gonna play more Outer Worlds and stuff like that, Star Wars. You know know all the games on my schedule right now. (laughs) So definitely tune in this weekend. Um, Let's move on. All right, Damon, we got some wrestling to talk about this week. That's right, Christian. Another epic tournament is in the books. We have the
0: finals of the G1 Climax. Oh! G1 one Climax Oh! <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> the All right, Christian, another epic G1 climaxes in the history books. The finals just took place this past weekend.
1: Let's go ahead and let's go through the results. All right, starting off with night 17 with the A block. We had Shingo defeating Suzuki. We had Will Ospreay defeating Okada. We had Ibushi defeating Taichi. And we had Ishii defeating Jay White. But even so, uh, Ibushi defeating Taichi was the winning match of uh, the A block
0: right as i predicted christian of course <laughs> totally wasn't a blind guess at all uh-huh. <laughs> so during this night we had a heel turn from osprey that just came out of nowhere uh b Priestley showed up uh you know she's under contract with stardom who is owned by new japan or the same people who own new japan i should say uh and then all of a sudden the great what's his name christian Mr. The Great Okada Dr. Creepy Teeth. Um, He showed up also. (laughs) Uh, Attacked Okada while the referee wasn't looking. Uh, Osprey capitalized on it after looking confused, or at least, you know, playing that he was confused. Uh, And then, you know, after the match was over, Osprey went ahead and, and started to attack Okada again, you know, cementing his turn uh it looks like they're starting a faction
1: up i don't know if they have a name yet you were saying that you heard one during the finals they kept bringing up um you know them having ties to the british and mongol empires uh, and so they were trying to play on this like empire vibe so i'm, I'm assuming there's going to be empire at least in the name <laughs> okay i don't know how i feel about that
0: but whatever um i don't know this is pretty cool i'm glad that osprey is getting some like spotlight he actually did a lot better this tournament Mm. than he did last so um i don't know i mean it's a good thing they need to freshen up their stables a little
1: definitely yeah i was gonna ask do you think um new japan needs another another faction
0: well they can get rid of a few (laughs) you know and add this one i'd be okay with Uh that i mean they could get rid of taguchi japan i mean that feels like just like the leftover like you know wrestler stable Uh so where they just throw everyone because it feels right everyone has to be in a stable in japan is that a thing i I guess i haven't seen that in writing though (laughs) is that not official (laughs) because that's what it what it seems like right Mm mm-hmm so I don't know. I mean, chaos is kind of a, a half-ass stable at this point too. So, true. I mean, that could totally go away, and I'd be all right. I know. I mean, it has the lineage and everything behind it, but I mean, I don't know. It there just doesn't seem like to be tons of unity there. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I think this is a good thing. I guess originally it was supposed to be Jeff Cobb who was going to be showing up in Osprey's hmm. corner instead of uh, you know Uncle Creepy Teeth. So, what's his name again say it for me? Great O'Con. Great O'Con, sure. Um I would have been a lot more behind Cobb and Osprey starting a faction together. That still might be in the cards, I guess. This is all according to uh Dave Meltzer. I guess. So take it with a grain of salt, but okay. um I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that was a big happening on this match. Uh fucking uh Abushi and Taichi uh just had a kick fest. They literally kicked the shit out of each other for 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe there was like one or two wrestling moves, um, but it all tied into the finals. So I thought that was well done and a really interesting match. I've, I've never seen anything like that before.
1: All right, for night 18 on the B-block side, we had we had Yoshihashi defeating Yano. We had Juice Robinson defeating Goto. We had Tanahashi defeating Zack Sabre Jr. We had Kenta defeating Naito, and we had Sonata defeating evil and with that becoming the winner of the b block which
0: you predicted
1: yes i predicted it correctly damon
0: even a broken clock is right twice a day christian (laughs) (laughs) all
1: right so christian before we move on to the
0: finals why don't you go ahead and give everyone the final scorecards
1: all right well with 14 points in the a block Kota Bushi won, of course. Then we had 12 with Jay White, Will Ospreay, and Okada. Uh, up next, uh, with eight points, we had Taichi, Jeff Cobb, Shingo, Ishii. Um, and then with six points, we had Suzuki, and Takahashi had two. <laughs> <laughs> he beat fucking All Cobb. Can you believe that? Yeah, I guess he had to get one, right? <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess. Over on the B block, Sonata won with twelve points. Evil and Naito also had twelve points. Kenta and Zack Saber Jr. with ten points. Um, we had Juice Robinson, Tanahashi, and Goto with eight points. Um, Yano with six, and Yoshihashi with four. Somehow becoming you know a bigger loser than Yano. <laughs> Poor Yoshihashi. Yes, poor Yoshihashi. I feel bad for him every single year. because This is what happens. He always
0: <laughs> looks somber to me. Like he's a little like melancholy. <laughs> like I just kind of want to give him a hug. You know, I don't know. Doesn't
1: he always look a little sad? Yeah. He,
0: you know, he's got that. You know, that, he's that definitely not look. living his like best life. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, let's go ahead and let's talk about the finals.
1: Yes. Uh, Kota Ibushi versus Sonata.
0: So Christian, you told me that you're willing to bet your house that Sonata would walk away as the G1 Climax champion.
1: I don't remember saying I'd bet my house for anything. (laughs) I'm
0: pretty sure you made that bold prediction, Christian. And I told you he's the personality of fucking paint drying and that there was no way that was going to happen. And guess what? i was
1: right hey he made it to the final at least
0: yes yes at least um just wasn't his year but i you know with them it's always a slow burn so Mm -hmm. i mean this is obviously not his last chance uh you know next year it was definitely Bushi's turn now Mm -hmm. um you know becoming a back-to-back winner is a big deal i believe there's only been a couple of wrestlers to do so so i mean that's huge for him uh as far as the match itself i didn't think it was great unfortunately um it was good don't get me wrong uh they Mm. just there was just some hiccups here and there they felt a little off uh i know abushi was definitely trying to sell the leg that was a big part of the story you know after his epic kick battle with uh Chi. so Mm. um but i don't know if that just hindered the match overall all jokes aside with like Sonata's lack of personality, but I, I think what what bothers me with him is just uh-huh. he, there's no like facial expressions whatsoever. You know, I, I I don't know if he's just working the gimmick or what, but like <laughs> when he's selling, like he's just laying there like a dead fish. He doesn't like grimace or, you know, there's he's not really like emoting anything so he frowns i guess man (laughs) and then when he tries to like play up to the crowd it just feels so forced i don't know man i did feel weird this match in particular (laughs) Ibushi has such natural charisma it almost magnified like sonata's lack of charisma (laughs) during this match so that's just my two cents he's a great wrestler don't get me wrong you know besides the fucking paradise lock i mean he's a fantastic wrestler um i just i need more though than just moves you know i need like like you know the little minutiae in between the moves you know to like really get behind him
1: do you think he would benefit from a heel run at this point do you but, think that maybe if he like what is to let loose as a villain i don't know
0: well what does that look like cuz LIJ i mean they're kind of in betweeners half the time anyway so what does that look like
1: i don't i don't know i mean i just i agree with you this match didn't feel like what i would normally get out of a G1 climax final bout you know mm-hmm. there's usually and it's not like they tried they tried to build that same type of tension and stuff like that but i didn't feel it and there was a ton of moments where you know you, you catch Sonata falling too soon on a, on a suplex or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, uh, I, it pulled me out of the match because I'm starting to, you know, at first I'm making excuses in my head. Oh, they're exhausted. You know, they're just, you know, they're doing everything they can. And I'm listening to the people trying to tell the story in my ears as well and I'm it just wasn't matching up at all, and it you know, started I, to fall I, apart.
0: I will say, like, some of the hiccups during the match were not all Sonata's fault at all. Like, Ibushi no. felt off, too. Mm. So they just weren't clicking for the night for some reason. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, so I can't blame Sonata for that. But just overall, like, my, I just wasn't as invested as I should be in this match. I think that was the problem so i just had a hard time getting behind sonata and a lot of people are behind sonata so i mean i don't know if something's just getting like lost in translation or something um but i don't know he just doesn't do it for me i guess uh
1: my, my favorite comment of the night though was uh, rocky saying uh abushi can't get his punches in because his leg hurts <laughs> You know, he's not getting enough power in with his arms because his you could not
0: wait <laughs> to shit on rocky romero this guy christian has been bitching about rocky <laughs> before we turned on the mics like just non-stop <laughs> i don't know what your problem is with Rocky. he's fine his commentary is just all over oh. the place man i
1: can't i don't know he's still better than what we get
0: like on raw and fucking smackdown
1: He's better than Corey Graves, yeah. But, I mean, that's a low bar. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's okay with me. Sure. Um, how did you feel about afterward? With After Ibushi has won, and now we have Jay White coming in and trying to say, you didn't beat me in this. Let's go. Yeah, so you're going to have the challenger. And what's mm. interesting is there's a
0: short turnaround now. You know, usually the G1 is taking place in the summer and then Mm -hmm. you've got this build up to, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, which is in January. So now you're only a couple of months out. So a lot of those matches that usually would have a big build up behind it, they're not going to get that kind of storytelling. So it'll be interesting how they handle that. Um, I don't know. I I don't think there's a chance in hell that Jay White's going to win it from him or win the right to, you know, face (laughs) You know, uh, Naito at Wrestle Kingdom, but it is two nights again. We got that announcement. So, I mean, maybe mm. they do play with something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, Sonata beat Naito, mm-hmm. and so did Kenta. So, they should have the right to a match. You know, I don't know if it would be for the title or if it for the IC title. Um, so, there's that. They could definitely... They, I, I don't foresee... You know, Nido losing the belt that way. But, I mean, that's a possibility.
1: This night also had um, Evil looking like he's trying to challenge Nido for both titles um, after their match as well.
0: Yeah, he's also a huge wild card. So, I don't know. I mean, they have a lot of different directions that they can go in. So, it should definitely, you know, make it for interesting watching up to Wrestle Kingdom.
1: Five pack challenge.
0: <laughs> well, that's With what the, the WWE would do. Yeah.
1: I know. <laughs> All right, Dan, well, what star grade
0: would you give this? I'm going to give it four stars. Uh, And I think it's just because of the circumstances. It probably no way of ever really like, you know, hitting that five star mark. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the lack of like crowd response was a little hard. Um, You know, there's definitely some matches that could have used it, Um, you know, but I mean, everyone's dealing with that right now. It was still a really entertaining show. I also think, like, because of the pandemic, a lot of foreign talent couldn't be involved. Um, obviously, you didn't get the same length of cards, which I actually enjoyed it not being a four-hour show. But I feel like they could have built up more storylines, you know, during those tag matches, which they usually do, you know, on the undercard. Um, so I think that definitely kind of, like, I don't know, just affected the storytelling overall.
1: Yeah, man, no Chase Owens. You know, they really destroyed the whole car. Leave Uncle Chase alone, all right? <laughs> um, I would probably give the uh, G1 this year probably three and a half, mostly for the, the exact same reasons, I feel like. Uh, if this was, you know, any other year where they had all the talent available and stuff like that, this would probably have reached maybe that four, four and a half for me if it had the same finish, you know, Um because that final match does kind of bring down the grade for me in general. So,
0: yeah. Uh, no, it's definitely anticlimactic to go out yeah. on that note. So, <laughs> it was and once again, it was not a bad match, you know, mm. it just didn't live up to like final quality, like, you know, the finals that we've yes. seen in the past.
1: All right, well, that does it for this week. That's right all right but before we head out make sure to head over to dramacityproductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts
0: that's right and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform make sure you subscribe rate and give us a five-star review yeah
1: it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going
0: and you know what if you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode make sure you go ahead and follow us on facebook instagram twitter and see the full versions of these articles plus a whole lot more
1: yeah you can follow us at amazing nerd show that's your nerd hub for all things pop culture Hey, and if you're looking
0: to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man.
1: Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, and while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, what are we talking about next week, Damon? Well,
0: next week is the grand finale of Horror Month, and we're going to go ahead and count down our top 10 slasher films of all time and maybe we'll have some other surprises
1: along the way. Absolutely. Well, that does it, Damon. My name's Christian.
0: And my my name's Damon. And
1: that's The Amazing Nerd Show.
0: Oh, please stop. Name the killer in Friday the 13th.
1: Jason, Jason, Jason.
0: I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. It was Jason. Afraid not. No way. Listen, it was Jason. I saw that movie 20 goddamn times. Then you should know Jason's mother, Mrs. Voorhees, was the original killer. Jason didn't show up until the sequel. I'm afraid that was a wrong answer. You tricked me. Lucky for you, there's a bonus round. But poor Steve. I'm afraid he's out. (gasps)